There's waters to swim in today. There's waters to swim in today. Hallelujah. Why don't we just lift our hands for just a moment. Reach out to him. Lord, all we need is you, Lord. Hallelujah. No matter what circumstance and situation is going on, Lord, all we need is you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, our source and our strength. Jesus, we love you. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Well, without any delay, Brother Bass, he's no stranger here to Cornerstone. He's preached several times at our summit conference. He's highly anointed, highly sought after, and he is a voice of wisdom as an elder. Let's put our hands together unto the Lord as Brother Bass comes in Jesus' name. Bless the name of the Lord. Let's lift our voices in praise. Clap your hands. Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with a voice of praise. Thank you, Jesus. What a great God you are. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Earl. And uh, it's such a delight to be here this morning in this wonderful service, Pentecostal Sunday. A great day to celebrate. Amen. Great day to enjoy the wonderful presence of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I miss my friend this morning very much. And uh, I'm happy to be here. That's the one downside as Pastor Mayo is gone. But we love him. We honor him. I have great respect for him, his ministry, and the work that he has done in the kingdom of God. Amen. Many of you here today are evidence of the fruit of his ministry. And uh, I know you're thankful for what God has done in sending you a gift, the gift of a pastor. Anybody happy and thankful for that? Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I come today expecting God to do some great things. Woke up this morning with an expectant spirit. Man, I, I checked the definition for the word expectant, and it means having or showing, having or showing, not just having it, but also showing it, an excited feeling that something is about to happen. Amen. Now, someone that's expectant, that person has an excited feeling. They don't just have it, they show it. But, you know, we have, in our world, we have what is called spectators. That's people that just come to observe. It's just folks that want to watch. You have others that are expectant. Now, I don't know if this is a word or not, but sounds to me like if you got spectators who are just observers and onlookers, then people that would be expectant, maybe we could call them expectators. That they are ex-spectators. Amen. Anybody an ex-spectator here today? You used to watch, but now... You're excited. Hallelujah.
Praise God. I want to direct your attention today to Romans 8. I'm reading two verses of scripture, verse number 26 and verse 27. What a wonderful day. What a great day. And this to me, this particular day is a very exciting day. The birthday of the church. Praise God. I don't have a problem celebrating the birthday of Jesus Christ, and I don't have a problem celebrating his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But this is about us today. It's about what he's done for us. This was the fulfillment of everything. Amen. Romans 8, 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The beginning of verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. So I want to preach to you this morning a few minutes on this subject, the Holy Ghost, our helper. Praise God. The Holy Ghost, our helper. Would you praise him one more time? Honor him with your hands. Honor him with your lips. Honor him with a heartfelt praise. Hallelujah. 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 Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. And this has already been noted very clearly today that this is Pentecost Sunday. And for us that are filled with the Holy Ghost, been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, this is more than just another day. But it is the day that we do celebrate the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. When you read Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, which is a most familiar passage of Scripture to us, but yet still true and still powerful. Now when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place when suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Sometimes we skip over the first few words of verse number one, but it's significant to realize that that verse begins by saying that when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Because you see, Pentecost was not just a word that was used in the New Testament for the very first time, but Pentecost was a term that was used to signify the Feast of Pentecost, from the Old Testament, when they celebrated the Passover, then the Bible taught them, the Word of God taught them that 50 days after 
the Passover, that they would celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And so you have to realize that all of the things that we find happening in the New Testament don't just happen by accident. They don't just happen perchance. It's not coincidence. In fact, it's not coincidence that Jesus Christ was crucified on the very day that they celebrated the Passover. When the Passover lamb was offered in Egypt, way back in Exodus chapter number 12, I find it interesting that the Lord said to Israel that on this day, it will mark the first day of your new calendar. He said, I'm changing the calendar. You've been in Egypt for 400 years, but I'm changing the calendar. I am rewriting the calendar because today is the day of Passover. It's going to be the day that you're going to offer the Passover lamb. You're going to eat the Passover lamb. And when the death angel passes over, if the blood is on the doorpost and the blood is on the lintel of your house, then the death angel is going to pass over. And this is going to be the night that I'm going to break the bondage of Egypt upon your life. Hallelujah. And when that happened, it broke the bondages. It delivered them. And God started a brand new calendar for Israel. He said that this will be the first month. And it will be the beginning of a new year for you. And so you understand that whenever you applied the blood to your life and you were redeemed of your sins, that the Lord started a new calendar in your life. It was the first day of the rest of your life. Hallelujah. That ought to make some folks happy here today. You were in sin. Such were some of you. But now you're washed. Now you're sanctified. Now you're justified. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for redemption. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And so when you follow that down through Scripture, you will note that they could, they could eat the Passover lamb any time the evening, beginning the evening before until the evening of the following day. And it was the evening of the following day that Jesus literally hung on the cross of Calvary, fulfilling all previous Passovers and becoming our Passover, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, the blood that was shed that washed my sins away, the blood that brought redemption to my life. Well, I thought I was preaching to apostolics and you'd get excited about a little bit of truth around here this morning. Amen. And so uh, they had celebrated this Passover for some 1,500 years. Jesus became our Passover at Calvary. And then we note 50 days after Calvary, 50 days after his death, his burial, and his resurrection, there came another Pentecost. But you see, for 1,500 years prior to this, Pentecost had come and Pentecost had gone. The day dawned on Pentecost, the sun set on Pentecost. 
and they moved forward in their life for another year. But when we find in Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, when he said, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. In other words, this Pentecost would be a fulfillment of all previous Pentecost. And this Pentecost would not just come and go, but it would come to stay. It would come for all time. It would come for all nations. It would come for all people. I'm so glad that Pentecost is here to stay. That's why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Because when the Holy Ghost was poured out, whoo, hallelujah. We've got Pentecost on Sunday. We've got it on Monday. We've got it on Tuesday. We have it on Wednesday. Woo, hallelujah. Somebody shout Amen. And so it was on that glorious Pentecost that they were so intoxicated by the power of the Holy Ghost that men began to ask, what meaneth this? And Peter standing up saying uh, that these men are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the, of the day. He said, but this is that, that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I want to tell you that all of the Holy Ghost that's ever going to be poured out was poured out at Pentecost. Our job today is not to pray for another outpouring, but our job is to enter into the outpouring that has already been given. Come on. Pentecost has not lost its power. Pentecost has not lost its greatness. Pentecost has not lost its glory. It's here. It's here right now. And all you've got to do is enter into it. Amen, amen, amen. And so Peter began to preach on the day of Pentecost. Tremendous message of salvation. And as we get near uh, the latter part of Acts chapter 2, the men are stirred because he has made a declaration. And that declaration was simply this, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the Bible said when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the other brethren, men and brethren, what shall we do? And I like the response. I love the response. It's still the right response today. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Somebody clap your hands and praise Him. Hallelujah. 
But the Bible doesn't stop there. It goes on to make this statement. And with many other words, did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now, when the apostle made that statement, it lets us understand. In fact, with verse number 40, the wording of that scripture helps us realize that everything that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost is not recorded in Acts chapter 2. But there were many other words that he testified of and exhorted about. But the summation, while we don't know every single word that was said, we know the sum of what he said. And the sum of what he said was this. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. What every one of us has to understand is this. That the Holy Ghost has been made available. The power of God has been made available. That which God has ordained that we could receive as the church has been made available. But it becomes your responsibility to avail yourself of what God has given. Of what God has prepared for his church. Hallelujah. When he said save yourself from this untoward generation, he was saying very simply, you have a personal responsibility to your salvation. You can't wait on somebody else to save you. You can't wait on friends to save you. You can't wait on your parents to save you. You can't wait on your husband to save you. You can't wait on anybody else. You got to make up your mind. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to save myself. I'm making a choice. I'm making a decision. I'm deciding I'm going to live for God. Hallelujah. And at the same time, just as you cannot wait on someone else to save you, you likewise cannot blame someone else if you are not saved. Oh, hallelujah. You're not going to stand before judgment and say to God, if it hadn't have been for my wife or if it hadn't have been for my husband or if it hadn't have been for the hypocrites in the church. or if, Oh, hallelujah. If it hadn't have been for what this person did to me or that person. Oh, no, 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 no. You've got to decide. I'm rising above everything. I'm rising above everything. I'm rising above every excuse, every reason. Everything that might stand in my way, I'm going to save myself. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, when you read the New Testament, you're going to find from Acts 2 and 40 through the balance of the New Testament that it is over 40 times that there are references to you saving yourself, it becoming your personal responsibility. I shall not read all of them this morning, but here's a few of them. He said, yield yourselves unto God. Give yourselves to fasting and prayer. 
Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, you can't wait till you get to church to have church. You need to learn how to speak to yourself. You need to, oh, hallelujah. You need to learn how to make melody in your own heart to the Lord. He talks about submitting yourself one to another. He speaks of withdrawing yourself from every brother who walks disorderly. He speaks of obeying them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. And then humble yourselves in the sight of God. And certainly last but not least, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. In other words, every one of us here sitting in this house this morning, we come to the house of worship. It becomes your responsibility to pray. It becomes your responsibility to worship. It becomes your responsibility to help the preacher. It becomes your responsibility to clap your hands, to leap for joy, to run the aisles, to lift up your voice, in prayer. Hallelujah. Come on. It's my job. It's my responsibility. It's my duty. I'm not waiting on somebody else. I'm not standing in a corner hoping somebody else gets it going. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to take responsibility. Amen. You need to get rid of that entitlement mentality. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> I felt like it just went right off the cliff right then. We live in a generation with an entitlement mentality. Everybody else got to give it to me. No, 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 friend, not when it comes to salvation. When it comes to salvation, Jesus has already done the hard part. He's the one that died. He's the one that bled. He's the one that hung on Calvary. He did the hard part. You get to do the easy part. He did the dying. All you got to do is the living. All you got to do is live for him. Worship him. Serve him. Amen. We live in a society that's constantly looking for somebody else to blame for their problems and blame for their misfortunes in life. We need somebody. We need a new generation to rise up and assume responsibility for their own life and their own future and their own actions. Oh, hallelujah. It started all the way back in the garden, all the way back in the beginning. Eve had her excuse. She blamed it on the serpent. Adam had his excuse. He blamed it on Eve. We got to quit offering up excuses and decide, I'm going to be in church on Sunday. I'm going to be in church on Tuesday. I'm going to be at prayer meeting on Wednesday. I'm going to live for God on Friday. When Saturday rolls around, I'm still going to be living for God. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. It's very clear to all of us that we're dealing uh, in a time where there is a tremendous measure of dysfunctionalism in our society. 
The problem with a lot of people is they have adopted a victim mentality. And they've decided that they're going to live their life in a perpetual pity party. Amen. You want to live there? Live there. I'm not living there. I'm not going to live my life in a perpetual pity party. I'm not always going to go around feeling sorry for myself. I'm not always going to. Somebody shout hallelujah. You know, I feel like I bumped up against a little something right there. I feel like I bumped up against somebody saying, yeah, preacher, you don't even know what life really is like. You get to live in the pulpit. You don't, you don't have to live where some of us live. And you don't have to go through what some of us go through. I got news for you, friend. I'll tell you why that I've decided I'm not going to live my life in a perpetual pity party. And I don't even like to use myself as an example. But on September the 7th uh, or the 4th, 2007, which has been almost 12 years ago, I was diagnosed with an incurable form of cancer. Amen. I lived my life for the next three weeks in an emotional turmoil, wondering what my life was going to turn out to be and whether or not I would survive the next few months. Amen. I finally went to the house of worship. I told my wife, take me to the church. I'm going to pray myself through this thing. And when I left the church that day, I told my wife, this I said honey I said either God's going to give me a miracle or number two I'm going to beat this thing from a natural standpoint or number three I'll, I'll die in the pulpit preaching that Jesus still heals hallelujah Praise the Lord. Amen. And so 12 years later, I'm still here. Hallelujah. Somebody said, but where are you at? I said, I'll tell you where I'm at. I'll tell you where I'm at. I made a decision a long time ago. I got cancer, but cancer don't have me. And that's where I'm living today. I'm living with a mind made up. I'm living with with a desire to give honor, to give praise, to bring glory to my God. Amen. I live every day knowing that I, I, that where I'm at, what I'm doing, because there's two guys that got diagnosed with the same cancer I had in the same month, and men that were, that, that were associated with people in our church, and both of them have died. They died within one year. Twelve years later, I'm still here. God helped me. I said, God helped me. However, I totally understand that, that, that while I, I, I realize that I'm not totally free of the cancer. From what I understand, I'm keeping it the beginning of stage one where it goes through stage four, four stages. So that means I wake up every morning realizing I can't quit. I can't stop. I got to stay on the diet. I got to stay with the natural. I got to keep praying. I got to stay in touch with God. And I want to tell you, that's how I treat my walk with God. I get up every morning saying, I can't quit fighting. I can't quit praying. I can't quit worshiping. I can't quit living for God. Hallelujah. 
What are you trying to say? I'll tell you what I'm trying to say. It's time for us to quit being victims and become victors. I said quit being victims and become victors. Make up your mind. I'm victorious. I'm victorious. I'm victorious. God's going to help me. God's going to get me above this. God's going to help me through this. Praise the Lord. So I'm sorry, but I, I have to tell you. Amen. Don't, don't, don't talk to me about it. Hallelujah. About life and about the things that you don't understand because we don't, you don't go through it. Oh, yeah, I know. I can match you story for story. But you see, there's a difference, an attitude difference. And what I preached, I said it has, goes back to what I preached here at Summit, that you've got to take control of the narrative of your life. You've got to challenge the narrative, and you've got to take control of the narrative. And you've got to make up in your mind, I'm going to speak some things. I'm going to declare some things. I'm going to live not by what the devil says, but by what the word of God says. I got to hurry. Hallelujah. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Amen. We have a personal responsibility. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. You have the job. You have the responsibility. You have the duty of, of saving yourself from this ungodly world. Now, I have read a wonderful verse, though, in Acts or Romans 8 and 26, wherein the apostle Paul said, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. The word infirmities here speaks of both body and the mind. Infirmities in the physical realm and infirmities in the mental or the mind. And so what the word helpeth here speaks to of us uh, is in the sense that when we are trying, it is there to assist us. Because I know sometime that when you preach along the line of personal responsibility, that there are those that declare we really are struggling and I'm having a hard time and I really need some help. Well, that's what I'm preaching about here today, that the Holy Ghost is our helper. Amen. Because we're still in the flesh and we still walk in this physical body and we still live in the realm of the carnal. We're still in a world where we are yet mortal. We're not yet immortal. We are not yet immortal. This corruption has not yet put on incorruption. We're still struggling with mental struggles and struggling with physical struggles. But I have a promise in the word of God to preach to you about today that we have the Holy Ghost who is our helper. That when we are trying, the Holy Ghost says here, let me help you out. Let me assist. Amen. It would be, if I used a very simple illustration, it would be on this wise, that if I this morning were attempting to pick up this heavy piece of furniture right here and try to move it on my own, and there was somebody that realized I was struggling to do it, I wanted to do it, but I was struggling to do it, that they would run up and say, here, let me help you out, and we'll move this together. Well, that's what I'm preaching about the Holy Ghost this morning, that the Holy Ghost 
Ghost, when it sees that you're trying, when it sees that you're making an effort, when it sees that you go to a prayer meeting anyhow, though you don't feel like going, and you worship, though you don't feel like worshiping, the Holy Ghost steps in and says, let me help you out. I see you're carrying a load. Let me assist you. Come on, you better hear this preacher this morning. You're not living this by yourself. You're not living this all alone. You've got a spirit. You've got a God that's there to lift you up, to encourage you. The Holy Ghost is there in your life as an enabler. The Holy Ghost is there to enable you to live this life. He's not asked you to do it on your own. He's asked you to take personal responsibility. But he's not asked you to accomplish it by yourself. Amen. Somebody said, I don't understand how you folks can live this life. I look at you and I, don't, I just don't comprehend how that it can happen. I don't think I have what it takes. Well, we don't have what it takes either without the Holy Ghost. I wish I had some apostolics that believe what I'm saying here today. We don't have what it takes without the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that steps in. It's the Holy Ghost that begins to do the work. Whenever we don't, when we feel like we're too weak, we can't put one foot in front. Amen. It's like, it's like a man running a race, and he's doing all he can, but he's stumbling. Amen. All of a sudden, somebody comes out of the bleachers right down to where he's at and said, here, I'm going to help you. Come on, let's run this race together. We're not going to stop till we get across the finish line. I read the other day where that the Greeks of old had a race, and I don't know what the Greek term was. I, I read it, but I couldn't pronounce it. But the, the, but the definition or the, the English version of it is the torch race. And the torch race was a race that was won not by the individual that crossed the finish line first, but by the individual who crossed the finish line with his flame in his torch still lit. When they started on the journey, when they started on the, on the, on the race, everybody had a torch in the race, and everybody's torch was lit. The man that won the race was the one that crossed the finish line with his torch still lit. Well, let me tell you about the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost to help you cross the finish line with your torch still lit. Hallelujah. He'll, let you, he'll help you run this race. He'll be there to assist you. There had been times when I was down, but the Holy Ghost picked me up. There was time when I struggled, but the Holy Ghost was there to help me. There was time when I didn't know if I could make it or not, but the Holy Ghost was there saying, come on, you can do it. You can do it. The Spirit helps our infirmities. 
Amen. The Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is more than just a spine-tingling experience. It's more than just talking in tongues. I believe this. The Holy Ghost is far more than just talking in tongues. It's there to enable you. When you get up on Monday and you realize it's going to be Monday all day long. Huh? Hallelujah. Amen. When you get up on Monday and everything in your world begins to fall apart, the Holy Ghost will be right there. When it feels like that tongue-talking, spine-tingling experience from the night before has become nothing more than a distant memory, the Holy Ghost is there saying, that's all right. Amen. You may be slogging your way to the mud pit today, but I'm going to be right there slogging through it with you. Somebody shout amen. Three Hebrew boys. Wound up in the fire. They said, our God is able. But we want you to understand that if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. Amen. We're not going to bow down to your idol, God. We'll do whatever has to be done. And when they were thrown into the flame of fire, the scripture tells us that the king came over and looked and said, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? He said, lo, I see four men loosed, walking in the fire. Because you may be in the fire, but you don't have to be bound. You may be in the fiery furnace and you may not be delivered from that furnace yet. It may not be time to come out, but you don't have to be bound in the furnace. Not when the Lord is there. Not when the Holy Ghost is there. Not when the power of God is there to assist you. Oh, hallelujah. That means I can still praise him even though I'm going through a trial. That means I can still worship him even though I'm being tested. My faith is being tested. That means I can still jump up and down even though I don't have a right to jump up and down or a reason to. Somebody shout amen. If we could grasp the greatness of the Holy Ghost that lives inside of us. We would keep it fresh and we would keep it alive. For the word of the Lord teaches us that we're saved by the washing of regeneration and the, what? Somebody say renewing. The renewing of the Holy Ghost. We're saved by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That means you got to get renewed in the Holy Ghost. That means you can't let the first night be the only night that you talked in tongues. It can't be, it can't be the baptismal pool the only time you ever talked in tongues. Somebody said, do I need to talk in tongues every single day to be saved? Probably not, but it wouldn't hurt. 
I said, probably not, but it wouldn't hurt. Let me just point out something. I'm not going to, I'm trying my best. You folks make me want to preach so bad. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's kind of like a preacher I told one day. I said, look, I said, I said, there's two kinds of preachers that make me want to preach. One that can and one that can't. And you sure made me want to preach today. <laughs> and I turned around and walked away and he grabbed me and said, oh, no, oh, no, you're not leaving. Two kind of churches that like that make me want to preach. Those that like it and those that don't. And y'all make me want to preach. <laughs> Hallelujah. Huh. If some of y'all would get a hold of this, you'd get up in the morning, look hell in the face, and say, You're not gonna stop me now. You're not gonna keep me from living for God today. You're not going to take my joy. You're not going to take my peace. Come on. Every now and then, when you feel like you're up against the wall, you need to say, hey, Holy Ghost, my helper, come on over here and help me out. Come on, Holy Ghost, help me out. You said, you said you're my helper. Come on and help me. I find something interesting, very interesting. There are four elements in nature. There's earth, water, fire, and air. Amen. That's the four elements of nature. Earth, water, fire, and air. Now, the, the, the significant thing about this is that three of those elements are active. And only one of them is passive. Earth is passive, but water is not passive. It's active. It's flowing. It's moving. It's raining. It's ascending back up into heaven by way of the mist. Amen. Air is active. The wind is blowing. Fire is active. Anytime you see fire, it's consuming. Something's going on. Well, let me just tell you that the Holy Ghost in, in, in the Scripture is spoken of under the figure of the active and never the passive because the Holy Ghost was never meant to be passive in your life. The Holy Ghost was never meant to be something passive in your world. Passive in your life, just sitting on the sideline. It's never meant that the Holy Ghost in your life, you see, fire acts upon the earth, water acts upon the earth, air acts upon the earth, that which is passive. It was never designed that the things of your life would act upon the Holy Ghost, but that the Holy Ghost would act upon your world. It would act upon your Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray, you need to pray. Oh, hallelujah. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth. 
in earth, my earth, my flesh, my world, as it is in heaven. Oh, I feel Holy Ghost all over this place. Amen. We got too many folks that have got a passive Holy Ghost. Amen. I said they got a passive Holy Ghost. Uh, let, let me just let me just interject something right here. Let me let me tell you let me tell you how some folks Holy Ghost is. It's like when Herod allowed Jesus Christ to be crucified or, or to be beaten with stripes. When they took him out and they took that Roman rope, that cat of nine tails that was that was woven with metal and glass, and they began to beat the back of Jesus and shredded his back so much that his internal organs, they say, were visible through the rib cage. That's how horrible that they treated him. And after they beat him, they put on him a royal robe, a purple robe, and they put a reed in his hand calling it a scepter, and they took him out before the people. And, and Herod said, this is your king right here. And they cried out, we don't have a king but Caesar. Amen. Here's the problem. What they did was beat Jesus into submission. They put the royal robes, and I'm running a real good message here right now, but they put the purple robe upon him. And so when you looked at him, he had the robe of a king. He had something in his hand that resembled a golden scepter. They had a crown of thorns upon his head. So he had the semblance of a king. But if you ripped the robe off, you would see where he had been beaten with many stripes and his back was covered and matted with blood. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that there's a lot of people that beat Jesus into submission to their will and to their life and to what they want. Everything else that's active in their life works upon, oh, help me, Jesus, their passive Holy Ghost that's in their life. All right, y'all ready? I'm going to preach a little bit here. Huh? Their active involvement in the sports world. Their active involvement in Hollywood. Their active involvement in ungodly music. Their active in, God, uh, in godly, uh, ungodly involvement on things on the internet that they shouldn't be accessing. Go ahead and preach your preach on. Hallelujah. All the active things in their life is putting the pressure on and affecting that which is passive, that which is there. Oh, hallelujah. But you need to hear me today. The Holy Ghost was never meant to be passive. It was never being something that you are to bring into submission to what you want. But the Holy Ghost was meant to be like fire. It was meant to be like air. It was meant to be like water. Amen. Now, if you want to follow Scripture here, all you got to do is look at John 3 and 8. The wind blows where it lists. You hear the sound thereof. You can't tell whence it comes, whether it goes, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Suddenly in verse 2 of Acts 2, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. The, the, the Holy Ghost is spoken of in the figure of the active 
element of nature called air. And then John said in Matthew 3 and 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Verse 3 of Acts 2, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Amen. Luke or John chapter 7 verse 38. Jesus said, He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Ghost, again, is never meant to be passive, sitting on the sidelines without a voice, without influence, without an impact upon the way you think and the way you live and the way you act. Oh, no, friend, but it was meant to be like fire shut up in your bones. It was meant to be like the wind of the Spirit blowing in your life. It was, oh, glory to God. It was meant to be like water. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. It shall be in you a well springing up into everlasting life. He that believeth on me as the scripture has said out of. Somebody say out of. Somebody say out of. Somebody said out of. If there ain't nothing flowing out of you, you probably got a passive Holy Ghost. But if you've got an active Holy Ghost, it's going to be boiling up. It's going to be bubbling up. It's going to be flowing out. Woo, hallelujah. It makes me want to dance. It makes me want to leap. It makes me want to run. It makes me want to shout. It makes me talk in tongues because it's active. It's active. It's active. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you very simply why. That you need to keep the Holy Ghost active in your life at all times, under all circumstances. Just because every aspect that the Holy Ghost is spoken in, so is the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is not passive. Brother Sergeant, the, the devil never quits. Hell never stops. He's always working. He's working right now in this house, sitting in this, in this pews. His voice is speaking in the ears of some people right now. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. He's always active. He's always working. He never stops. He don't take a vacation. He doesn't take a day off. Even when the scripture said that the devil left him for a season. Didn't mean he left him permanently. And the devil might leave you for a season. But he's coming back. He's going to try you again because he's active. 
And so just as the Holy Ghost is spoken of as fire and as wind and as water, so is the spirit of the adversary. The scripture says when the enemy comes in like a flood, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord God will lift up a standard against him. Woo. That means when the enemy, he don't just come, he comes in. And he don't just come in, but he comes in in a flood stage. Amen. You better have an active Holy Ghost that says, is that the best you can do? He raises the standard. He builds a levy. I said the Holy Ghost builds a levy against the flood waters of the enemy. That's why you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost to counteract the flood of the enemy. Praise the Lord. Scripture talks in Ephesians about being tossed about with every wind of doctrine. That's adversarial winds. That's deceptive winds. That's winds that, that, that are coming against the truth in your life. Even tells us about the disciples being on a boat and the wind was contrary. It was boisterous. So you're going to have storms in your life. You're going to have the enemy coming against you. And it's going to be contrary winds. That's why you need the wind of the Holy Ghost. I wish somebody hear me here today. That's why you need the wind of the Holy Ghost that knows how to counteract the boisterous winds, to counteract the contrary winds. That you need something more powerful than hell. You need something more powerful than the spirit of the world. That's why you need the Holy Ghost active in your life because if the Holy Ghost is not active, that's why you need a Holy Ghost that steps out of the bow of your ship and says, peace, be still. The very breath of God that came forth out of the man called Jesus stilled the boisterous winds, the contrary winds. Amen. You hear me? You need the Holy Ghost. Because it's, it, comes, it comes active. It comes prepared to work. It comes prepared to operate in your life. Last but not least, it talks about the Holy Ghost being like fire, or, or the devil being like fire. Ephesians 6 and 16, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The enemy's using you for target practice. Huh? I said the enemy's using you for target practice. Now, now I, I, I don't know a whole lot about forestry, and I don't know a whole lot about fighting forest fires. But I've read a little bit about it, and they tell me that when there is a forest fire that is out of control that the foresters, the men that work out there, the firefighters, they know 
that if we can go over here about a mile and we can start a backfire and we can get this fire moving toward that fire, then by the time this fire gets toward that fire, it will overtake this one and consume it and stop it in its tracks and we can put out the fire. That's why when the fire of lust burns in your spirit, you need the Holy Ghost to set a backfire. Lord, glory to God. You need the Holy Ghost to set a backfire. You need the Holy Ghost to set something alive. Oh, hallelujah. Come on. It ought to change your opinion about that song. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. Now, I felt this morning, before I came to this service, I felt very strongly that, that the Holy Ghost wanted me to address something before I quit. Because I really feel like that the Holy Ghost is trying to reach somebody in this house today who you've allowed the Holy Ghost on Pentecost Sunday of all days to become passive. It's just a passive element in your life. And you're toying with some things. You're toying with your walk with God. You're, you're, you're toying with your relationship. I, I, I felt that the Holy Ghost wanted me to bring you a warning. I feel the presence of God in this place. What I've tried to preach to you is the Holy Ghost is your helper. The Holy Ghost is your helper. But you can't play games with the Holy Ghost. You got to be careful how you handle the Holy Ghost in your life. I find three negative responses in Scripture to the Holy Ghost that I felt the Spirit of God before I ever came here wanted me to address in these final few minutes and I, I'm, I'm almost finished because the Holy Ghost was not meant to just be a passive spirit in your life that just lets you go down the road that you want to go without warning you without pricking your heart without stirring your spirit Get a witness? Amen. The Holy Ghost was designed to work. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking about the comforter that was to come in John 14, 15, 16, in those chapters, he makes this statement about the Holy Ghost. He said, but when the comforters come, when that spirit has come, he said he is going to reprove the world of sin. The Holy Ghost never is intended to be one that coddles you when you are sinning. It was never intended to just pat you on the back and say everything's okay. But it's meant to stir you, to convince you, to reprove you. Can I, can I talk to you just for a few minutes? 
I'm not long from being finished, I promise you, but I feel like this is the Holy Ghost right now. you got to be careful how you deal with the Holy Ghost in your life because it's such a vital part of your ability to overcome. It's such a vital part of your ability to live for God and to overcome all obstacles. So when you're starting to veer off the path and you're going the wrong direction, the Holy Ghost is there screaming, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go that way. The Holy Ghost pricks your heart. Your heart is smitten. Huh? When you said something you ought not to say, the Holy Ghost sometimes will smite you. Huh? When you feel a check, you know what it is. If you don't, you need to realize what it is. It's the Holy Ghost that's checking you. Holy Ghost saying, that's not the right attitude. That's not the right spirit. Why? Because it's an active element. It's an active spirit. It's not there to sit on the sideline with a piece of duct tape over its mouth and its hands tied behind him. Sometimes the Holy Ghost is there to grab you by the shoulders and shake you. Huh? In fact, Ezekiel talks about, I'm just throwing this in as an example, but, but Ezekiel talks about a time when the Spirit came by and lifted him up by the hair of his head. Huh? The hair of his head. Can you imagine? Huh? Somebody pick you up by the hair of your head? Well, some of y'all wouldn't get that experience, but that's, hallelujah. But nevertheless, the hair of the head, that's some of the most tenderest part of the body. And he picked him up by the hair of the head. So I'm going to show you something. It was the spirit that did that. And every, every now and then, the spirit has got to get a hold of us by the hair of the head and say, stand up, wake up, wake up. You're going the wrong direction. Wake up. You're doing the wrong thing. Wake up. And I'm just telling you what I feel in the Holy Ghost in a church where the power of God is moving. On Pentecost Sunday, I feel so strong in the spirit that there's somebody in this house that you've allowed the Holy Ghost to become passive. And the Holy Ghost is trying to pick you up by the air of your head this morning saying, wake up. I wasn't meant to be shoved in a corner. I wasn't meant to be put back somewhere in a room. And the door locked. So notice, three negative responses. Ephesians 4 and 30, he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Acts seven fifty one, he speaks of a people that always resist the Holy Ghost. And then Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and says, quench not the spirit. Huh? Amen. Grieving, resisting, and quenching. That is three negative responses that you digress in. Not progress, but you digress. You go backward 
How do I grieve the Spirit? You grieve the, the Spirit when you allow yourself to be influenced by the wrong people. Huh? By the wrong things. When you sit down at a computer and you allow your eyes to feast on the ungodly filth of this world. Huh? We used to just talk about television, but now it's a big difference. Huh? You're grieving the Holy Ghost. I said, you're grieving the Holy Ghost. You grieve the Holy Ghost when you as a young person allow other young people to influence you to go do things that you know are not right. The Holy Ghost is grieved. That's why, that's why you feel that feeling of hurt. You feel that feeling of your heart being smitten. You feel like, oh God, why did I do that? It's because the Holy Ghost feels that way. You grieve the Spirit. But when you override that and you take it a step further and you don't just allow yourself to be influenced but now you are allowing yourself to be involved and you continue down that road and you surrender yourself to the lust of your flesh and the Holy Ghost comes to you to quicken you turn you, you resist it. You start stiff-arming the Holy Ghost. You see that first point, you grieved with the Holy Ghost. You felt the pain. But now, you start resisting it. Huh? And when you start resisting the Holy Ghost, then you are removing the influence of the Holy Ghost upon your life. It's no longer active like it used to be. Amen. The third step is quench not the spirit. Because when you grieve it, and then you leave that point of grieving, and you go to resisting, then the third step is you quench the Holy Ghost as you would putting out a fire. Huh? as you would taking water and throwing it on fire to put it out. So you take the active element of the world, the spirit of the world, water, and you put it on that spiritual fire called the Holy Ghost. And you quench it. Now, fire can go out by several methods. Number one, it can go out because you make up your mind. You don't want it affected anymore. You don't want it to be effective in your life, so you quench it. You just start you just start suffocating and smothering the fire purposefully, intentionally. Go back to the Old Testament. When the fire of God fell upon the altar, God gave Israel a law that was two parts. That, that fire was to never go out. This is why it comes back to our personal responsibility. When the fire fell upon the altar, it was God that put the fire there, but it was their responsibility to keep the fire burning. Huh? And there was two things God said, don't you do. He said, number one, don't you put this fire out on purpose and don't you let it go out by not taking care of it. By not keeping it burning. And so, when you quench the fire of the Holy Ghost, you can just allow it to go out. It just 
goes out because you're no longer, well, you're neglecting it. You're neglecting the fire. Where no, food, where no wood is, the fire goes out. Where you're not tending the fire, the fire starts going out. And so the four downward steps in the path that you're traveling, which is the path to death, spiritual death. You've grieved the spirit. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, somebody in this house, I feel this strongly. I, I'm telling you before I came here, I felt the Holy Ghost to warn somebody. You've grieved the spirit, but now you're resisting. You're resisting. I'm in church because my parents made me be here. Well, but I'm not, I'm here, but I'm not here. I'm here, but my mind is somewhere else. My heart is somewhere else. You're resisting the Holy Ghost. You're quenching the fire. Can I tell you that there's a fourth step that if you're not careful, you will engage in that there's no return. If the fire's been quenched, you can get it restarted. But there's a fourth step that if you take that step, there's no return. And that's blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. That's when you start talking about the fact that the Holy Ghost was never anything in your life to begin with. When you start when you start negating the power and the glory and you blaspheme the Spirit, Jesus said this. He said there is no forgiveness for that. So if you're quenching it this morning, if you're resisting it, if you're grieving it, you can get it reactivated by getting renewed in the Holy Ghost. Let's stand. And I know, I'm sorry, I preached a long time, and I apologize, but you folks, amen. Y'all just, you only have one service anyway, so y'all need a double dose anyhow. Huh? I want to challenge somebody because I feel this so strong in the Holy Ghost. I have preached directly to somebody in this house, maybe several somebodies, that you just kind of let the Holy Ghost become passive. It's no longer active. In fact, you might have grieved it and resisted it so much that now you're in the process of quenching it because you don't want the influence of it. I don't want to be stuck by it. I want to tell you something, friend. The longest day I live, I don't care how old I get, I want the Holy Ghost to be active. Hallelujah. I said, if I can't, if I get to a point physically where I can't kneel on my knees, I pray. I can sit in a rocking chair and I can pray until the Holy Ghost falls and I talk in tongues and the Spirit stays active in my life. I don't ever want to reach a point where I feel like I don't need the Holy Ghost to talk to me. I don't need the Holy Ghost to prod me, to prick my spirit, 
to challenge me, to stir me. We are saved by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit also helps our infirmities. Thank God for the Holy Ghost that lives in us, that's active, 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 active. And if you're in this house here today and you've been resisting and you've been grieving the Spirit and you've been quenching the Spirit. I'm telling you, there's only one other step for you to take if you continue that direction and that's into the place of blasphemy. I would challenge you to turn around this morning and to get out between those pews and walk down to this altar and lift your hand and say, this morning, Lord, before I go, I'm going to have a renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, you don't even need to be in that state of mind. You don't even need to be in that position. But if you're here today and you just, you just feel like you want a good renewing, that's a, it's a good time right now to walk down to this altar. It's a good time to just lift your hands. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and begin to magnify him, begin to pray that the power of the Holy Ghost would fall upon you one more time, that the Holy Ghost would touch your life, that the Holy Ghost will work in your spirit Hallelujah. Church, on this Pentecost Sunday, can we lift our voice in praise and in worship right now? Can we pray with those that's coming to the altar? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We have people in this altar that's weeping. I said they're already weeping here this morning. They need God. They need the help of God. Are we going to be a church right now that's going to be active in the Holy Ghost? Are we going to be a church that's active in the Spirit right now? Amen. Let the Holy Ghost be active among us. Let the Holy Ghost work in this place. Would you lift your voice? Come on, Cornerstone. I'm calling on you. I'm calling on you, Cornerstone. I'm calling on you. I need.